So if you pollute the sea or pollute the air, goodbye swifts, goodbye fish, or if you heat it up too much. But is there anything we can do about it at this stage? Let's be honest. What do you think, Ken? You've been around fish and the seas and the water all your life. Yeah, well, I think there's quite a lot we can do in terms of monitoring the changes. I think that's really important because we may be looking at not just impacts on fish, but we most certainly be looking at impacts on our society as well. And we need to be forewarned. And I think what we need to have then is we need to have the data that's actually going to tell us that these changes are taking place because the speed at which they're taking place now, conventional methods of research may not be sufficient to actually catch up on this. So that's why I think that if we can mobilise an army that will actually be trained to move into that space and to be able to monitor what's happening. I, I think that anything that's man-made, anything that's on land, anything that's in freshwater, there's a real potential that we can do things to improve the situation. I think in terms of the oceans, the most important thing is to know about it and to be able to mitigate your management actions based on the information that you actually get from your work. And is this where a project like the Sea Monitor project is useful? Can you tell us a little bit about that? The Sea Monitor project was run by some colleagues of mine with uh, the, the LOX agency, um, uh, which is a cross-border body based in Derry, running the show. And I went to the Roundup conference of the Sea Monitor project a few months ago, and I was absolutely and completely blown away by what they had succeeded in doing. So it was a combination of a whole range of different bodies. Uh, you had universities, you had state agencies, you had researchers from different groups. And the idea was to actually see, could they, in fact, monitor the ocean? They wanted to monitor the ocean by using the animals as the main link in, in terms of looking at the changes that we've just been speaking about. So they decided they would pick some really quite iconic species. So they were looking, for example, at basking sharks. They were looking at skate. Uh, they were looking at seals. They were looking at cetaceans and they were looking at salmon. And because of the interest that they had in the salmon and because a lot of my colleagues that are working on other projects with me on salmon were involved, we got more and more involved in Sea Monitor. And the more the project went on, the more linkages we actually saw in terms of the different programmes that were ongoing. And we ended up in a situation where we managed to amalgamate something like seven different groups for the very first time, looked in great detail at what was happening to these species um, around the west coast of Scotland, the north coast of Ireland and indeed the east coast of Ireland. It was one of these initiatives that we had never managed to accomplish before. It was quite unique in, in terms of its results. And what's happening to those iconic species? So with the basking sharks, what they were finding was that the... Um, Basking sharks at times, they come together and they can actually come up to the surface and they can actually then gather together on the surface. And they have put together the most amazing program, a computer program that will actually let them predict when these gatherings may be happening. So, for example, in terms of ship traffic, in terms of recreational users, that they can keep clear then of these, of these particular areas. And the migration routes of some of the species, the, what they've unearthed was extraordinary. So there's one big species of fish here in Ireland called a skate. And when I was working in the west of Ireland, I got very interested in the skate in Clue Bay. And as far as I was concerned, they were common skate and that was it. 
But in fact, they were what we call flapper skate. And again, when they looked at them in detail and they put these electronic tags on the fish and they had this big array, this big receiver array running between Malinhead and the island of Isla in Scotland, they were able to then see that these fish were much more migratory than we had thought. And there was a big interplay between Scotland and the north of Ireland in terms of these skate. And probably the skate around Ireland are actually doing exactly the same thing. So in management terms, suddenly a creature that was looked on as sedentary, extremely long-lived, very slow-growing, was much more active and would really lend itself much better to active management. So all sorts of different results came from Sea Monitor and it was very exciting. And how could you actively manage a skate So the way you can actively manage a skate is by making sure that the areas where uh, the skate is subject to bycatch in particular, that people are aware exactly where the skate may be, the time of the year when they might be there and the gear that you're using to make sure you're not going to use the gear that will accidentally tangle up in the skate. Now, we're looking at a creature sometimes that could be maybe 100 kilos in weight. These are massive, great creatures. But the juvenile stages are obviously a lot smaller than that. So they had put in all sorts of different measures mechanisms to try and protect them within the bays but they now need to be looking at sea and seeing how they can protect them at sea as well. Richard? Yes, skate and stingrays look very alike. Um, For instance the stingray can sting you, it could in fact kill you if you were very unlucky as happened to one particular famous character but one is cartilaginous and the other is bony. Now they seem to an outsider like myself to be very similar so that I wouldn't touch one in case it was the wrong kind. Ken, why is the cartilaginous version so slow to develop and why does it have this very long life approach, whereas the other isn't? The ray that we have most commonly in Ireland are the thornbacks. And again, you have to be very careful because, as the name implies, they have thorns on their back and thorns on their tails as such. It's true, and a lot of uh, these cartilaginous fish are quite right. Some of them are indeed quite slow-growing and reproduce quite slowly as well. It's just an evolutionary factor over time. But people can get really uh, very confused by this, and there was a time when uh, there were some of the dogfish. There was a big fishery opened very quickly for some of these, and the fish almost disappeared because people hadn't done the basic biology, and they didn't realise how long they took to mature, and also how slow they were to grow and some of these fish would have been 15 15 years plus of age and they very quickly then had to cut down on the actual spur dog fishery as a result of that and I think it's the same they have to manage the rays and that very carefully as well. Why exactly the two different types of flatfish, if you like, have taken two different routes. Well, that's in the realms of, of genetics and past history but certainly as you say they are very different fish. Is the sunfish cartilaginous? I think the sunfish really is a mixture of both as far as I can remember. I think it has both uh, bone and then it has an outer skeleton, I think, that's actually made out of cartilage. So it has both bone and cartilage. And have you seen many of them in the wild yourself? Yeah, I've seen quite a lot because when I was working over the west of Ireland, I did a fair amount of sea fishing. And we used to encounter them on a fairly regular basis off Clare Island and around Clue Bay and up further north. And it wasn't at all unusual to either see them in the distance or have them rub up against the boat. When is the last time you saw one, Ken? Oh, it's 
20 years ago now since I saw one. And would you be surprised if I told you that the numbers are increasing? The numbers of sightings, that is. I'm really delighted. (laughs) Yes, I would, because so many stories are bad stories about the ocean at the moment. It'd be really fantastic to think that the sunfish numbers were increasing. But if it was increasing because the temperature was rising, that would be a bad thing, right? Well, uh, the one thing I do remember is there was was a chap, uh, Tom Doyle, Cork, and Tom was working on sunfish at one stage. I remember him telling me about them, their habit of feeding on jellyfish. Now, we're having a lot of reports at the moment of exotic jellyfish are beginning to appear and big, big numbers of jellyfish were some of the strands this year. People couldn't fish for days on end with jellyfish. So certainly there may very well be a connection between jellyfish and the increasing numbers of these sunfish.